HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that Burma, or Myanmar, has been very much in the news the last few years. But the cuisine is something that has not been in the news until now. And you're going to learn all about it on A Taste of the Past. Hi, welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. And indeed, uh, Burma, once known as Burma, then Myanmar, now Burma again, and kind of confusing to those of us in the Western world, and indeed I'm sure to many others as well. It's, yes, it's, it's been a country in terrible political strife, and uh, hopefully now moving towards democracy. But the cuisine is something that has a long history and influences from so many other wonderful Southeast Asian countries. Today with me to tell us all about the cuisine of Burma is Naomi Dugood. Naomi is, well, and when I think of Naomi Dugood, I think primarily photographs because Naomi has written so many books um, and they are all one more beautiful than the other, filled with wonderful photographs. She sees cultures and the world and food, truly, I think, with her own eyes and through the lens of her camera or many cameras. Uh, she has. She's just about to come out. The book is. I have a copy. Lucky me. But <laughs> the book is about to hit the uh, the shelves on the end of in the end of October, and it's called Burma, Rivers of Flavor. Many of you may know some of her previous books. They were Seductions of Rice, Hot Sour, Salty Sweet. Salty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Help me and out actually, there, the right? book the book is already out. Oh, late is it September. Out? It's end of September. Oh, yeah. I thought it was yeah. the end of October. No, late okay. September. All so right, it's, it's exciting to all see. All right, all it, you uh, lucky listeners, the books out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so uh, the books, and uh, as I say, they are all basically books into what we may have called third world countries, but they are the wonderful, rich, and colorful countries of Southeast Asia uh, and Burma 
being no exception. Welcome, Naomi. Thanks. Nice to be here. Uh, now, if you, um, what I want to tell listeners is that Naomi was also on another program this week, and that was with Michael Harlan Turkel on Food Scene. So we're going to, if you, if we don't cover absolutely everything that we can in, in this half hour, then listeners can go to that show as well, and you get the we'll get the whole picture. But what I wanted to to ask you, you have done so many explorations into countries: Vietnam, Laos. Uh, uh, Thailand, and now Burma, not an easy thing to do and really get to know the food enough to write an entire book. How do you go about kind of insinuating yourself in the culture and, and getting information about it? And language must be a little bit of a difficulty. Well, it's it's really interesting. I, I'm a beginner. I'm always a beginner wherever I am. So I'm I'm never going to be an expert. People who who are from a place maybe expert but i i'm certainly not and so all i'm trying to do is is get my head in a place where i have some understanding of you know what grows there how people think about their food um how things are made what's important to them what isn't important and you know i um co-authored a book on on uh, the indian subcontinent which um dealt with india bangladesh nepal and there's you know, Burma it borders on India and mm-hmm. borders on Bangladesh. Um, and another book on um, the outlying areas of China called Beyond the Great Wall, and that that dealt with Yunnan and Tibet and other parts of China. And Burma has a border with Tibet and Yunnan. And so, and then a book, Hot Sour Salty Sweet, where there was some mention of Burma, there's some Shan food. And so all of that exploration gave me some eyes to see in, in Burma, but how to insinuate? I think the big ingredient for me is time. I think I I don't tend to rush around so much as try and sit somewhere and go to the same tea shop, you know, four days in a row and or eat along the street. And I eat a lot. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I eat um, I eat as often as I can. But street food, things I see out, I go to places that are crowded with locals and. Uh, and I just try and take enough time. And I use my camera as a note-taking device, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, because in a, especially in a police state, which Burma was until recently, um, you don't, uh, you don't take notes in the street, you right. know. Right. So, because uh, it makes people nervous. And so, um, it's just about, it's just about time and slowing things down a bit. And then, sometimes there are cookbooks. There are a few cookbooks in English, a couple, one from the from the 30s, an old, old one, and there's another from the 70s from Burma, and they're they're not exactly clear, you know, uh, but they've helped me decipher, and then I've made some friends and been able to ask them questions, you know, all of those things. Well, and you you also mentioned um, I had the the pleasure of of listening to Naomi talk last night at a presentation with slides, and the slides were just gorgeous. And you did Thank mention, you. Um, and, not, and the food was good too. <laughs> oh, they did a great yes. job cooking the food. Um, you mentioned, um, yes, indeed, taking your camera and riding around on a bicycle. Well, here you are, you know, a blonde Westerner with a camera on a bicycle going to the market day after day. I guess then they consider you a familiar sight. Yeah, I'm odd. I'm odd, but I'm kind of like they can sort of label me in their minds. Oh, she's that person who does that. You know, whatever. Why is she taking pictures of you know eggplants and shallots? Well, because they're beautiful is the answer. But, but also just because it gives me a role in the market. So I'm not sort of standing there 
working, I'm I'm engaged. Um, and I'm, you know, stopping in a noodle shop and having a bowl of noodle soup. And I'm, you know, so they, oh, yeah, they can sort of slot me, that kind of tourist. Right. And then that kind of relaxes people and uh, they get used to me. And um, and just sort of, you know, it is a layering. Well, you know how when you go somewhere, the first time you go to a city, let's say Barcelona, if you haven't been to Barcelona, you go to Barcelona and the first time you notice certain things. And then say you go back five years later, if you're lucky, you get to go back. And then there's all sorts of things that you didn't notice the first time because your eyes were so full of the newness of it. But the second time, there's some familiarity. And that means there's another layer of being in Barcelona that you get to notice. Mm-hmm. You know, you're free to learn the next layer, kind of. And I think it's that layering of experience that um, traveling in and out of the country lots of times, you know, has I've been lucky enough to get some of that. I'm still a gazillion layer short of, of expertise, but... But there's a familiarity now, and I, you know, each time I think, why didn't I notice that before? Well, because I didn't have eyes to see before, right. because I was so busy with something else. Well, and you, and that's, and that is very observant. You're an experienced traveler, so that was a, a good lesson for you to learn. Yeah. And the yeah. first time you were there was 1980. You said 1980. Yeah. How many times have you been back subsequent to that? Um, I, uh, uh, for the book, since the early no- 2009, I think it's, uh, I think it's eight times no is that right I think so and then I was there uh, a couple three times before if, the, book. the longest extent of time you, you, you can only get a visa your visa is for thir- uh, 28 days oh so that's limited and time. so um, so that would be the, you know the maximum those were some precarious but in times. 1980 you could only stay for a week Wow. So it was a, just, it was sort of like Burma's open, woo, you can go, well, only for a week, well, I better go while I can, because yeah. they might close it again. That was what, when I went in 1980. I was going to uh-huh. say, and there were some precarious times in between there that you went. Well, I mean, the, basically, you know, it's been, it's been a tough time politically for the people of Burma for a long time, and they've had periods of real, you know, really being oppressed by their military mm-hmm. government. And the thing about uh, writing the book, I didn't want to write about the people of Burma as oppressed because, you know, every individual has a has an intactness inside. They may be politically oppressed outside, but inside their kitchens they have some autonomy inside their homes in, in their own thinking. And so around the kitchen table, so to speak. Um, you know, eating their, their food. And so I didn't want to talk about them as as victims, because when we talk about someone as a victim, we take away their intactness. We treat yes. them as less than whole. And people of Burma, like the people anywhere where there's an oppressive government or something else going wrong or a catastrophe, they're still human beings and they, they're worthy of full respect. So I wanted to use the food as an entry point into the strengths of people in Burma. And certainly you know, a kitchen, a family meal, It's it can be many things, but certainly it's it's... Uh, comforting, and it can be, uh, and it's a reminder enlight- of your of your of your intactness. Right. You know, so so anyway, and and the and then the food is really accessible. It's not kind of a, a sort of wall of flavor like some of the Thai curries. It's they're sort of layered flavor, and um, and flavorings are used with a light hand. So um, there is there's one thing that's pungent. You know, people know about fish sauce now, um, Thai or Vietnamese fish sauce. Well, Burmese use fish sauce uh, lightly. Uh, not all people in Burma, but the central Burmese, um, the Shan people use salt. Um, but 
they also have something called ngapi, which is a uh, fermented shrimp paste, and you find it in Vietnamese and Chinese grocery stores. And it's to give umami, sort of a mm-hmm. meatiness, a depth of flavor. And in the recipes, uh, now for, for Central Burmese people, this is a yummy flavor in the same way as, uh, I don't know, as the smell of garlic might be to us now. But, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, if you didn't grow up in a garlic-eating household, that wasn't necessarily a yummy smell to That's you. Right. That's you know, right. We acquire these tastes. So in the recipes, I use the shrimp paste, but very lightly. And then as you get into it, or it's like as you get into fish sauce, you find yourself turning to it you know right. it's um well let's talk about some of these layering now you identified the location of burma mm-hmm. being bordered by thailand mm-hmm. and laos and china and mm-hmm. india mm-hmm. um and, the and then this long coastline a long long, long coastline, coastline right. on the bay of bengal and the andaman sea yeah um and the and the country um i will have a map posted on the website if people oh, go you. to my That's show great. there'll, there'll yes, be a map uh-huh. there um but it is sort of you know like a bulbous like you say like a kite with like a, a long kite. tail yes right? exactly um and and they can see that there so there are diverse cultures and cuisines from and, one end and to the other. And diverse environments. There's mountains and karst landscapes, and then these um, fertile river valleys. The, the Irrawaddy River drains the country; it flows from north to south, and uh, and it's you know very fertile. So there's rice growing areas. There's a lot of um, peanut oil and sesame oil for cooking. Um, there's greens and, and vegetables, um, and so and then of course there's fish. But people also eat you know. Uh, they eat beans and legumes. Um, they they eat, um, they eat some beef, some pork, but those are sort of luxuries. So curries, like a meat curry, will be there'll be a small amount of meat. It'll be one small dish in a large meal that has lots of vegetables, lots of greens. Well, we're going to describe one of those large meals mm-hmm. as we go mm-hmm. on. Um, and. It is, by and large, a, a rice-eating culture with a lot of vegetables. Yes, right? and and also the, and, and a noodle-eating culture as well. Mm-hmm. So people uh, and there are, there are flatbreads too. Speaking of, you know, <laughs> that was uh, the first book I did, and so flatbreads are always sort of close to my heart and rice. So it's really interesting to be in a place where there is that crossover. Put one flatbread recipe in the book for that reason. <laughs> but um, but noodle dishes, wonderful noodle dishes that are kind of like um like a, a whole one dish in a meal one bowl meal uh, where there, you'll have a broth maybe enriched with a little coconut milk and egg noodles or rice noodles and then all sorts of lovely flavorings you can add on top to kind of dress it the way you want mm-hmm. now what are the most distinct now here we have all these southeast it's in mm-hmm. the plopped in the middle of this you know yeah, culturally southeast, rich yeah, southeast yeah. asia so we see kind of a lot of familiar flavors right. entering the cuisine, but in unique ways. Yeah, like, dancing right? in their own way, right. really. And so, so yeah. what are the distinctive flavors that you so would pick? I would say shallots, um, shallots, which are like you know they're in the onion family, um, but Asian shallots are smaller than the European shallots, and they're sort of a pale purple. They're they've got a reddish brown skin and then pale purple underneath, and they've got this mild, interesting flavor. They're not very oniony, and they're used. Raw, you know, soaked in a little water and added to a salad as a kind of uh, mild, crispy thing. Then they're fried into a crisp brown fried shallot texture, which and they're sweet. And they've got so they got they add texture and sweetness to say a salad or another dish. And then they're also um, uh, um, they're also fried, added to oil at the beginning of making a curry, for example. So you put some turmeric in, add the fried shallots, and they. They give a. They cook slowly, and this is very like the start of cooking a curry in Bangladesh. Mm. Then 
then in Burma, it diverges into other things. You, you add a little ginger, perhaps, um, but you don't add whole spices. Um, it's quite... It's, it's, uh, people think of uh, curries from the Indian subcontinent as complicated because there's all sorts of spices. In Burma, there are not so many spices. There's more, uh, perhaps, uh, fresh herbs added at the end. Um, and then it's more that the meal has all these other... has condiments in it, so you can add a bit of chili sauce or chili oil or something else to your meal as you're eating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a flexible way of eating. So turmeric is, is one of the Turmeric's flavors. Turmeric is huge. Yeah. yeah, and you just use a pinch of it in the oil to start. And you know, turmeric's a wonderful, it's an anti-inflammatory, it's, a, it's got all sorts of antibacterial properties. I mean, again, you know, it turns out that this thing that we're happy to have because it looks pretty and it tastes, uh, adds a good flavor also happens to be good for us. Well, isn't that nice? You know, <laughs> I think if we, if you eat just sort of thinking, oh, this is good for me, this is good for me, that takes away the, the pleasure, the sensual pleasure. But if it turns out you have sensual pleasure and then you look and you say, and also, hey, I get this side benefit. Well, how right. lovely. Right. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the dried shrimp paste, which, of course, is, is prevalent yes. in many other Yeah, fermented shrimp now. paste. And then there's also dried shrimp. And it's, dried shrimp are used um, uh, sort of a ground into a powder. And that's another little kind of a, it adds another little subtle note it's not fishy it's it is just a sort of again a depth of flavor mm-hmm. in the same way that that um a miso paste can add a depth of flavor um it's it's so interesting this interplay of you know that term umami um which we use the japanese word because we don't really have a term for ourselves meatiness doesn't really do it um it's it's really interesting the ways you can get that in the same way the ways you can get sour from lime or from tamarind it, it it's fun to play well um, I want to talk about some of the the national dishes and older recipes after a break, but um, but you brought something up just before that, and it was about cookbooks. You said you found there was a cookbook An from the nineteen thirties, yes, old from nineteen thirties. Yeah. So there really aren't that we know of, and as a culinary historian, I know we, there's not there's not a lot of research that's been done on old recipes from. Burma. Not that I know of, but there probably has been in, in Burmese language. I'm just talking about things accessible to me. Yeah, I can English, sound out right. words in Burmese, but I but I can't read it. So, um, and I have a friend in, in Rangoon who's a, uh, you know, has written a cookbook in English, um, published in Burma. Um, there's a cookbook that was published on the West Coast in the early 90s, of a Burmese guy who moved to the States. There's one international cookbook uh, uh, with color photos but but no in terms of delving into old stories and also uh, and there's a few cookbooks that are being published uh, by the organizations working with refugees on the border yes. sort of um, in the same way you'd call it a community cookbook mm-hmm. um, small collections of recipes but I think this is going to come because there's so much to discover so many different culinary cultures to, to poke around in well we will talk more about that after we return from our break you're listening to A Taste of the Past on heritageradionetwork.org
Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm speaking with Naomi Dugood, the author of Burma, Rivers of Flavor. And Naomi, um, we were talking before the break about older recipes, cookbooks. Um, I mean, these, and as you rightly said, you know, not knowing a lot about the history of the cuisine, you know that the differences in a lot of these dishes are really cultural pockets. Well, well, Burma's a large country. I mean, it's got, you know, 65 or 70 million people, and the majority culture is Bemar, um, Burman, and they're in the Central Valley, but that's only 75% of the population. Mm. So you've got... Shan um, culinary traditions completely different. The Shan people speak a different kind of language, and they, you know, they don't use shrimp paste. They don't use um, fish sauce. Um, they have a whole other way of going about things. There's crossovers, and there's also Shan food in Rangoon and all of that. It's not like people are in their ivory towers, but it's quite a distinctive. Um, cuisine. And then there's the people up north of Kachin in northern Burma, and they also have amazingly distinctive dishes. So these, and and everybody's sort of evolving, but at the same time, they know who they are by, by how they eat, and what when you see foods in the market, you think, I mean, for example, I was in a market in, in uh, the northern part of uh, northeast Burma, north of the Golden Triangle, and I came across a dish, and I thought, what is that? And it was this pale mauve sort of um, not porridge, something or other. I knew there had to be rice in it, but... And the woman saw me looking very puzzled and sort of handed me a little bowl and sort of made a gesture, you know, eat up, you know, try it, you know. And I tried it, and it it turned out to be peanuts uh, cooked with rice and then ground into uh, a smooth puree. Mm. And that it was like this smooth soup, and it had this sweetness from the peanuts, and this mauve was from the peanut skins, right? And um, and then you dressed it with all these lovely flavorings, a little bit of shallot oil and a little bit of this and that. It was just a completely dishes, delicious thing to have for breakfast. I'd never seen it before. Um, there are pockets. It's it's really, it's just like if you think about Europe. If you think about Spain, for example, here we no are, more. I mentioned Spain a second time, but if you think about, there's, you know, Catalan food and there's Basque food, and yes, there's overlaps, but they're, they're also just people who know who they are, they speak a different language, and they they're proud of their their cuisine. And so it is in, in Burma. And so if anybody's going to Rangoon, look for restaurants that are um, not Central Burmese, as well as the the things that you find mm-hmm. most obviously, because it's fascinating. Well, I um, we talked about the distinctive flavors. What what are some of the more unusual ingredients? Unusual to the Western palate. Some of the unusual ingredients. Well, I think you know, apart from the the shrimp paste, I think that they're really 
aren't unusual ingredients. Well, I'm I thinking mean, that's really banana flowers. Oh, well, okay. yeah, okay, but that's 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 more. Yeah, that's not a flavor. Yes, so an ingredient in that sense. Yeah, there's a salad made out of grapefruit or pomelo. You can make a salad out of banana flour, which is a beautiful dark red thing. Um, uh, people work with what they have. So if you're in the tropics, you're going to have tropical ingredients. There's um, chayote people use, um, which you know comes from the Americas, but has been taken on there, um, and that's used often. It's it's deep fried. Really mm, delicious, little, little lovely sort of sticks, batons, kind of uh, um, deep fried. And for me, unusual uh, to find, and although throughout Southeast Asia you see a lot of it, is tea leaves. Ah, uh, yes. Well, so tea. You know, you make tea from the fermented leaves or the dried leaves of a tea plant in Burma, which is the place near to the heartland of where wild tea originated in Yunnan and Burmese border. Um, people have um, in in Shan culture and. Burmese culture, um, people use tea leaves in a salad, and they use them, uh, they ferment them, that's one kind, that's the central Burmese kind, or they use fresh tea leaves, or you can use dried tea leaves um, soaked in water, and it's a love, it gives this lovely little astringency, and then you mix them with, you know, peanuts and toasted sesame seeds, and you might put a little tomato in, a little Napa cabbage, a little lime juice, um, some fried garlic, and, um, and a little garlic oil, and it's just this this extraordinary distinctive thing very special well and and you say that this is um the the tea salads are really distinctive to you know to burma or to absolutely absolutely and uh it's it's very special and i don't know of another place apart from burma and northern thailand where you come across it i want to talk about the markets ah yes well (laughs) i mean the street we're talking about markets that are in the street has our restaurants. I mean, yes. everything in the street. Yeah. So we, you know, it's fashionable now to, to hear about street markets uh, from China, Thailand. You know, the Asian mm-hmm. street markets, and and that's something that um, that we're not unfamiliar with. However, I would I would like to um, I would like you to tell me about the about the Burmese markets. Um. Well, um, food markets in Burma, it's really interesting. There's, there's one I talk about, a, a particular a market in a particular town uh, called Sipa, which is in the Shan States. And people come to the market really early, so it's candlelit. And it's just the most amazing thing to go out before dawn. So it's, in the pre-dawn hours. Yeah, it feels chilly, you know, yeah. because whatever temperature it's at, it's colder than daytime. So you sort of wrap up warmly and go along some streets, and then there's the candlelight and people sitting on the ground with things out on the ground with lit by candles. And then as... And then and dawn comes up, and then they move from the street into a sort of market area, still, uh, still not a building, but uh, sort of off the street. And it's it's quite moving to think of it. And so people are, of course, traveling in the dark at sort of three or four in the morning, bringing their stuff in from the countryside. In in Rangoon, uh, also known as Yangon now, there are extraordinary markets uh, in the street, very lively food markets, um, and you know, the meat is fresh. Um, there, it's not smelly. Everything is sort of clean, and it's not sort of a tired old, oh yuck, let's get out of here because it's smelly. I, even the fish section is a fresh smelling. The only thing that's got a bit is a bit pungent is dried fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think, oh, here we come with the dried fish section, but it's not sort of dirty or awful. It's just you know, it's the pungency of dried fish. Um, so it's very, it's very enticing to see it all out there, you know. Um, and of course, it is local. I mean, people are bringing things in from the country to the market. When you said uh, the the meat is fresh, everything's fresh, and 
interesting you bring that up because we're talking now Burma it not a lot of electricity throughout the country and they're not reliably yeah, yeah. and so, so no and refrigeration so there's of. the refrigeration is not reliable so things people cook in the morning to eat at lunch and then they might then have some leftovers in the evening I'm talking about family style but they're not keeping leftovers in the fridge there isn't uh, for people outside the cities uh, and for some people in the cities there there isn't a fridge to keep it in so people are very mindful of how much they buy and how they cook and you know using things that day um, and it's it's just a you know we all used to live that way mm-hmm. uh, we all used to live that way and um, and I think it's it's very interesting in the same ways we all used to mostly in agricultural societies we used to eat our big meal at noon. And in Europe, for a long time, until quite recently, people ate their big meal at noon. It seems a healthier thing to do. Um, And that's what people do in Burma. You know, they have their big rice meal at noon. Well, you said one thing you mentioned. Lovely way to eat. When you're traveling, don't skip breakfast. Yes. Well, don't skip breakfast because it's fabulous there. It's just, there's so many choices. My problem with breakfast in Burma is there's sort of three or four different things I want to eat. And so, um, you know, I just have to be greedy. And so, you know, that's not a struggle. Um, the um, talking about uh, dishes and and older dishes. Let's talk about if you could pick a dish which really is their national dish. And well, you've spoken of this. Apart from the tea leaf salad, a mohinga. Uh, I think it's probably mohinga, and it's a noodle dish. It's rice noodles, and there's a, uh, a light fish broth on it, and then there's banana stem there, but, you know, you can use another green vegetable substitute and then crispy things on top. It's a comforting food, and it's available on the street, and, and there's mohinga's different in different regions. It's just one of those, oh, yes, let me have that and feel at home kind of dishes. Fabulous. There's only two of them in the book because the editor said, do we need three? Can we not just have two? So, um, but there could have been five. Interesting. Uh, and the restaurants, there is a distinction between street food and restaurant food, is there not? Well, yes and no. I think family food at home or is, is a, the rice meal, you can find that on the street. There's simple little dishes on the street and there's noodle dishes on the street. But in tea shops, you can find most things. But the rice meal is a, either a restaurant thing at noon or a thing that you eat en famille uh, at noontime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very special. And I would say to people, if you want the best rice meal, there's a place under a big tree in Old Bagan. You just head right there, and you'll see people enjoying a rice meal at noontime. And you just sit right down, order what you want, and just let time pass. <laughs> just got to find the right tree, Naomi. <laughs> oh, no, no, by the old city gate in Old Bagan, you'll find it. You'll oh, see okay. people there. It's just extraordinary. That's great. Well, you know, for such a struggling country, a lot of people may be a little wary about traveling there. But I think that the food, hopefully... It's an entry point. It's a real yeah. entry point. It's a way of understanding how things work. And uh, and it's just a way of sort of... Also, if you cook food from Burma in your own kitchen, it's a way of sort of traveling there and getting a connection, getting seeing what the balance is, you know. Well, with this country, you know, heading towards, with the oh, doors we, more we open, we that, go. That we hope for the best for them. We hope that Aung San Suu Kyi can help, and Tain Sein, the president, can help uh, move the country forward. The people are certainly ready for it. They're right. ready for a more open um, optimistic place. That's right. And the more travelers go there, they'll bring back word of the food, too. Well, and also, I think it helps because you're there, then you're chatting to people. I mean, mm-hmm. all openness and dialogue helps. It's when we close ourselves off that we get into trouble, I think. Absolutely. Well, you are certainly on the cusp of, I think, the great new cuisine. And this book is is certainly a treat for anyone who um, has the opportunity to see it. And I encourage everyone to take a look if they can. It's called Burma. 
Rivers of Flavor. And Naomi, it's been a, a true a pleasure. And I feel like I've been stalking you, <laughs> stalking your life and following you through all the books along the way. And your sons who are, must be adults now. They're grown now. At, they're grown people. Yeah, they're young men. It's yeah. sort of amazing, 21 yeah. and 24. Well, it's what really an experience, an experience yeah. that they've had through all those yeah. years, too. And I congratulate you on a beautiful book. And I hope we'll hear more from you. Thanks so much. And thanks for listening. This has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.